1: Hey guys, quick warning before we get started. There's a little bit of swearing in this episode. Okay, here's the show.
0: Hi, I'm a proud member of SAG-AFTRA and I'm asking you to join me in voting yes on the strike authorization.
1: Last week, the Actors Union put out this video rallying their members to to vote to authorize a potential strike, which they did on June 5th. The vote doesn't necessarily mean the actors will strike, like the Writers' Union currently is, but it makes it possible if contract negotiations with the studios break down. The current contract expires on June 30th. And just like the Writers' Guild, SAG-AFTRA is worried about wages— residual payments on streaming services, and... We also need protections against the unregulated use of our likeness and voices in AI.
0: This negotiation is unlike any before. The
1: economic survival of our members, the survival of our very profession, is at stake. Because AI is already at work in Hollywood in ways you might not expect. Slate's Heather Tall Murphy just wrote about it and says the actors are right to be concerned.
2: It's easy in these moments when we hear AI, AI, AI to feel like, oh, everyone's being unnecessarily freaked out and, oh, come on, you're being so dramatic. But the reality is that AI is already being used in Hollywood and there's a lot changing in this realm. So it makes a lot of sense to me. Today on the show,
1: Heather has seen the future that actors are worried about, and it's closer than you think. If you are someone who listens to this show, I'm guessing that by now, you have probably seen or heard a deep fake made with AI. They are of varying quality.
2: Good evening, my fellow Americans. I've made a huge mistake. Are you familiar with the 2011 film We Bought a Zoo?
1: No, President Biden did not buy a zoo. These sorts of videos have lurked on the internet for a while, but as the tech has gotten better, companies are commercializing it for movies, TV, and ads. And while they can't yet generate a totally believable human, they're close. Heather learned about
2: an Israeli company that was making digital clones. They were paying all kinds of people, not just famous people, but actors and waitresses and people who needed money all over the world in order to essentially say, we want to digitally clone you and then we want to sell that digital clone of you to different companies. So I tracked down this company that is based in Tel Aviv called Hour One, and I was talking to them and it was really interesting. And, I, and I, w- what I was really focused on is finding an actual person. I wanted to really talk to an actual person who wasn't just doing this because they're a media personality trying to build their online following, but was actually somebody who was doing this because they wanted to make some extra money and was intrigued um, as a way to have a revenue stream. And so that is how I landed upon Devin Finley. Um, he is a man who does a lot of different jobs. He's a voiceover artist, he has this incredible voice.
0: Hi, my name is Spex, and I lived a hype life by being me, Mr. Black Tasty. <laughs>
2: He's a voiceover artist. He's just somebody who's making money in lots of different ways all the time, working at a bar, working as an actor, working as a background actor, working in some experimental art project. And so when somebody told Devin about this project, they said, oh, it seems like something that might interest you. Do you want to check this out? Um, He decided he would do it.
1: How did he go about having this digital clone of himself
2: made? What was pretty wild about it is how easy it was. You know, and this is where when we talk about the technology is shifting and evolving one of those areas is just the amount of time and effort that goes into pulling things like this off. Now to be clear, when you see these hour one videos, we are not talking the most impressive deep fakes running through the screen and doing all kinds of things. It is, you know, a few steps up from the avatar of yourself you create when you play a video game, right? Like from certain angles and certain lights you may think this is really that person, but they're looking straight ahead at the camera. They're just from the waist up. And what he had to do in order to create that of himself is he went into a studio in Manhattan and he just sat there for an hour on a stool. It actually took him less than an hour and he read from a teleprompter And they asked him, they gave him some direction. Um, The director who was based in Israel kind of gave him some guidance. They said, can you use your hands a little bit more? Can you be a little bit more expressive? Can you be a little bit less expressive? Can you move a little bit less? And that's all he had to do in order for them to take his likeness and use this tool that they have developed to figure out how he moves and, and moves his lips and moves his face and moves his body when he talks.
1: Heather says making Devon's digital double was not unlike making an invitation using paperless post. Choose a font, a backdrop, some pictures, but in this case, choosing aspects of a digital person, not a party invite.
2: What's different in this hour one tool is then you you pick your character, you pick what they look like, and then you pick what language they speak and, and how they sound. Wow. And so, the, yeah, the way that it's currently set up, actually, they currently are cultivating different talent for what they look like than the, people, the way that people sound. Um, for whatever reason, when they decided to bring Devin into their system, their portfolio of virtual talents, as they call them, they only captured his likeness originally So if people want to use Devin, they can use what Devin looks like and then they can um, add somebody else's voice and that can be in many different languages. There's different tiers of of virtual talent. There's virtual talent that appears when you first log in. Anyone for free can make these videos and there's people who appear at the front of that. And then there's people who are kind of like on-demand talent that certain clients can ask for, like we're looking for this or or impress us, wow us with your virtual talent that you, you give just for us. And so Devin is one of those like higher tiers select virtual talent um that not everyone gets access to
1: how how did he think about this opportunity like was was he thinking oh this is a good way to to license my likeness and I'll get paid a lot of money or like what was his thought process
2: he first heard about it through somebody he was working with on this Burner Face project with this his auto, audio project that he's already working on. And that person kind of knew somebody over there. So in some ways, that made him feel a little more comfortable with the idea. But simultaneously, he was going through something very real, which is he was thinking, okay, conceptually, I don't want AI... Thing people taking my job, you know, I get gigs as a background actor. I don't qualify to be in the union. Um, I'm going to be one of the most vulnerable. Whatever happens with all of this, like, do I really want to encourage that future? But then simultaneously, thought this is kind of interesting, and he's a guy who likes interesting experiments. And he also was thinking about the money, and it was five hundred dollars. Which to me, I when I first heard that he'd license his likeness for five hundred dollars, I was horrified. Just a one-time fee. Yeah, he gets five hundred dollars for a, a certain number of people to use it in different kinds of videos. However, at the end of the credits, as they call him, they call them, when all the credits have been used up, um, then they can buy hour uh, one can buy more credits from him. So he could potentially get paid more money. But the way he thought about it an hour sitting in a studio, reading off a teleprompter um, for $500. There's the possibility this this technology that I'm an early adapter in could really take off. Suddenly all kinds of people are buying my credits down the line. It's easy money for me. And, And I think for some of us, not in some of these spaces, we're like what? Like, don't you feel weird having people manipulate what you're saying and how you look? But if you've been working in commercial advertising for a long time or ever been in a stock image photo shoot where you have no control over how that stock photo is used, it kind of feels less outside the bounds of what you're accustomed to.
1: Hmm. This is is like the 2023 version of you're the stock image guy for hemorrhoid cream.
2: Exactly. And what they've promised him is they've promised him nothing that'll defame you, like nothing political, nothing sexual. I'm sure you can imagine this is going to be very popular for porn and all kinds of things. Um, So nothing sexual, nothing political, nothing that's going to make you look terrible. But of course, you know, as we all know, it's difficult to put boundaries around such a thing, which I think is something we're going to see become increasingly complicated as the years go on and this becomes more popular.
1: Heather says that digital Devin looks a lot like a real person. But because there is a key thing missing, the clone doesn't
2: feel right. It's not using his voice. He has this incredible voice and he gets paid for his voice. And in the video that they used, it's adding somebody else's voice.
1: Nice to meet you. I'm A.I. Devin, the virtual host of the Burner Face Story Bible. I'm the virtual twin of Devin Finley, a professional voice actor and
2: fashion model from Brooklyn, New York. And so, to me, having spent a lot of time mostly talking to him on the phone, it, it it felt like somebody different. But yeah, it looks like him. It definitely looks like him. Now, the way that I played around with their tool a fair amount, and some of the videos do a pretty convincing job of syncing up the lips with syncing up the audio, some of the videos don't. Um, and in the particular one that I saw of him, the lips were not synced as convincingly with his words of this other person. So to me, that was, you know, an immediate, okay, this is not actually Devin, right? Even if I didn't know what his voice sounded like.
1: I guess it's a long-winded way of me asking you, like, w- what exactly do we mean when we say digital clone or deep fake? Like, is there always something, at least right now, that doesn't quite read as human?
2: Yeah, th- Not always. I mean, when I was looking at some of these clips of the way that some of this technology is used in advertising, the way that some of this technology is used to put somebody's sibling twin on the same scene with them... They totally look human. I mean, I I was talking to one person who knows a lot about this on the phone and he was saying, yeah, but you know, I've never seen um, a digital twin that was really good or I rarely have. And then I started listing off some of the ways it was used and he he didn't realize that all these moments when actually he might've been looking at a digital twin or he wasn't aware just how widespread the use is sometimes just to get things across. So I don't huh. when it's used by these really high-end production studios, they're doing more. They you know, there's all kinds of like face swap tools. Anyone can who's had zero experience with any of this can kind of use something very basic. But when you're getting to like the Hollywood level where you want it to be real like actually believable on a massive screen and the production value and demands are so high, even then you can make something pretty convincing. That said, you can make something visually convincing, but it gets much more complicated when that person, that actor starts talking, starts moving. And that's why when we're looking at some of these ads that I mentioned in my piece, these different soccer stars in the scenes and the moments where their digital twins appear, it's not easily, readily uh, um, obvious that these are not actually them, but they're not speaking in those clips. They might be running across the screen. They're not like doing a lot of advanced acting. When we come back, why this stuff is
1: perfect if you're a gazillionaire athlete who needs to be in 10 places at once. I want to talk to you about some of the examples and use cases you outlined in your piece. You, you wrote about basically AI face swapping and used the example of an ad with Kylian Mbappe, the, the French soccer player. What What is
2: that? How does that work? The way it was explained to me, if you're dealing with a really busy celebrity, maybe an athlete, maybe an actor, maybe somebody else. Um, They're really busy. They travel with a huge team. If you can cut out actually having to film that person on the set you still have to pay the money. Um, you know, typically the big money will go towards having that famous person endorse your brand. Not, it's not some day rate. That's not the, where the big money goes. But you are suddenly freeing yourself of all these logistics, flying people across the country, making schedules align. And so then, what happens instead, increasingly, um, is they will get a body double. This body double ideally looks very similar to this person. Their their um, build, their skin complexion. And their face shape, even their hairline, ideally all line up. And then that person will actually be filmed on set. This is how it's currently happening when it's like a very high level production, when they want it to look really good. So they film this person on set and then in post-production, they go and essentially what the way it was described to me in some ways is kind of they take this like digital face makeup. If you imagine it, it's makeup created with AI training. So they've trained based on videos of the soccer star or the actor or whoever it is. Okay, this is how that person's face looks like at different angles and different lighting conditions when they move in different ways. And now they take that, which is trained to know how it looks. And then they apply that to this body double's face. And then when these are really high-end production, still there is some human labor involved um, in order to get it just right. But increasingly, it's this AI tool that is imagining how this should look and applying that um, that is doing all the work and making this happen so quickly.
1: And these are happening right now.
2: This is already being used um, by ad agencies. This is already being used in order to incorporate a sibling twin. I say sibling twin because I use digital twin all the time, but like an actual, like identical or fraternal, identical twin into a scene. This is actually already being used.
1: One thing that's kind of striking to, to me here is that like, on the one hand, this feels like, whoa, kind of gee whiz. On the other hand, as you wrote about, it doesn't seem all that different from, you know, having a... (laughs) <laughs> reanimated Peter Cushing, who is dead, in Rogue One in 2016. We've heard word of rumors circulating through the city. Apparently, you've lost a rather talkative cargo pilot. And I, I guess what I'm wondering is, was that then in 2016, like something that could only be done in the rarefied world of blockbuster movies with millions of dollars behind them, and now every ad agency can make a digital Bruce Willis?
2: A major difference is how easy and how fast this is. So I talked to this one company called Mars. They've been really ahead of the game in the AI space and also just the special effects space for quite a few years. And so, for example, there's a movie with Paul Rudd where he's also talking to another Paul Rudd, It's actually a Netflix show
1: called Living With Yourself. It came out in 2019.
0: I woke up in a spa, went to work, and came home. I woke up in a grave, and then I walked for six hours to find whatever the fuck you are.
2: And so they worked on that film, and that was a lot, a lot of work. They were just like having their visual effects artists going through it and using all these approaches that took weeks, that took months um, to, to do this. Now, um, other people who are using AI tools can do that kind of work in a fraction of the time. Hmm. So in some ways, what you're saying is like, you know, we're all used to a Hollywood that is creating totally off-the-wall special effects, you know, all kinds of things. The idea that you can stick somebody's twin in a scene and maybe that's not really their identical twin, I mean, that wouldn't make most of us bat an eye. Like, we're like, of course they can do that. They can do all kinds of things. But the what's happening behind the scenes is getting faster and faster and simultaneously outside those Hollywood spaces, which I think why it's interesting to talk to people like Devin Finley, who's working for companies outside of that, and all kinds of other companies is that even people who aren't like super duper experts or working on super duper high budget things can also increasingly use these tools. You know, one kind of happy note, at least um, some of the people at Mars tried to tell me is they feel that indie productions are really going to excel. Like there's so many indie directors and other directors who've had all these aspirations that they just couldn't possibly cover the cost of, and maybe they will now. Hmm. But at the same time, you could imagine that the big Hollywood productions, the big Hollywood studios their ambitions might just get even bigger. You know, one funny thing that some of the Mars people told me is like, I think people are going to make their deadlines now. Like, you know, (laughs) and and I, yeah, yeah. They're like, no one in Hollywood is ever making their deadlines. And some of these visual effects artists aren't going to have to pull the all-nighters, all-nighters, all-nighters that they've been pulling for years. They were kind of framing it as, they get to be the bosses of AI, these visual effects artists. They get to be the bosses of these like super efficient AI. Um, so, you know, those, that's coming from a studio that has really embraced this shift. Um, and so you'll hear other things. But yeah, it is going to be a game changer, but it's really initially going to be more of a game changer behind the scenes, which is ar- what's already happening.
1: It's also pretty great for dubbing. Gone are the days of clumsy dubbed movies where you can see a character's lips move the wrong way. Take, for example, Adam Brody in the movie The Kid Detective.
0: They're so preoccupied with the physical evidence that they sometimes can overlook the more complex psychological integers.
1: Using AI, Brody can be dubbed in French and his mouth can be made to move perfectly in sync so that he really truly seems like a fluent francophone. He se préoccupe des preuves matérielles mais ils ont parfois tendance à ignorer toute la complexité des implications psychologiques. I know this is a podcast so you can't see it but trust me or go look it up
2: it's pretty near perfect. So you know, I think because we both speak English, we're probably pretty spoiled in that we don't have to deal with as much dubbing as most people do in the rest of the world. But dubbing, as you know, anyone who's ever watched dubbing knows, is is so annoying. Like you know, often I, I certainly have always preferred reading subtitles to a dubbed movie because it's just off, and it's often more ways than the lip movement, right? But yeah, I mean, what I've been hearing is that this ability to sync people's lips with other languages, is a game changer for distribution internationally. And then other people are using it. It's not just going to be for big Hollywood releases, people on YouTube, people on TikTok. All of a sudden, people can scale their content creation platform to reach audiences elsewhere. And some people are really doing that. Um, So some of these tools, you know, are more available to everyone. Some you have to buy, but I think it really is significant. At the same time, I think it's disconcerting because as soon as you can change somebody's lips that convincingly to speak in any language well, then you can make their lips say anything. And we've already seen a lot of this with deep fakes, but the better that gets, the easier it gets to use that, the more convincing it is, the harder it is to know that what we're seeing is what we're, or what we're hearing is what we're hearing.
1: How far off are we from what you dubbed synthespians, right? Sort of AI generated actors on top of a body double. It, is that is that a fantasy or is it in the works?
2: That moment when big Hollywood studios start to make similar choices to the ad agencies like oh the actor's schedule is really annoying because we have this conflict with the TV show like let's just like you know ai her face in for like a lot of it. You know, I don't think we've quite seen that and we haven't seen yet the moment when Beyond a gimmick, um, studios are choosing to cast an AI creation as a lead. Part of what the actors want to know is they want to know how much they're going to get paid if their, um, if their digital likeness gets used for something. Maybe it gets used in, you know, a web series. Maybe it gets used in a different scene so they don't need to get used on set or paid to come on set as much. Like, how much will they, the human, still get paid? Another thing is, will they be consulted if they think that they appeared in one movie or one TV show, but actually it's kind of a different storyline and, and their digital double gets used differently. So I think like these incremental things are very real. They're happening very quickly, but something that kind of surprised me, um, that I think is, is a big obstacle to it totally taking over in the way that some people are suggesting it, it will, is as I keep hearing, you know, AI can't act yet. Hmm. So, so by and large, Hollywood studios are still dependent on body doubles. It's actually kind of a great time to be a body double who can act is what I was hearing because you aren't just the body double anymore. You are doing the acting. So your face, the way it moves, the way you carry yourself, the tone of your voice, it may later get tweaked to sound like this actor, but you are doing the acting for that other person. And so that is by and large where this technology still is. Now that's not to say that in a few years, then there will no longer be a need for the body double. But for now, they still need the body double. And so that that kind of impedes them just, just totally inventing the actor.
1: The other thing that is striking to me is the use of AI, not in Hollywood, but in a corporate training video, in, you know, your online harassment training, or whatever kind of somewhat banal uh internal communication that you might see if you you know log in and do your hr hr onboarding right the the idea that a that a devin finley like person could be a talking head that feels seismic that that corporate america might embrace these tools and we are still stuck thinking of them as something only used by a hollywood blockbuster
2: I think that is seismic there's thousands of companies starting to say that this is normal. We're going to go in some tool and make a video because it's easier to make a video with some AI person than with filming a real actor. And of course, anyone knows, you guys know, you make podcasts all the time. That is a difficult thing to produce. Like video is difficult to produce. So if you can suddenly just use AI instead, it, it dramatically reduces your production costs. But something I heard that I thought was kind of strange is that some of these companies are actually kind of bragging, oh, we can make you look like you have people who don't really work for you on staff. Like we can make you seem more racially diverse or we can make you seem like you have different kinds of people working for you. And so the idea that people are going to use AI to try to make it seem that people who work for their company are different than they actually are, I don't know. I mean, that, that doesn't seem great to me.
1: When you've talked to the union, what kind of guidelines are they thinking about?
2: You and I actually were talking about it in the kitchen area, I think, at one point. We were talking about some writer strike-related AI stuff at one point. And I was actually looking into this stuff before the writer strike— Um, And before I knew that the union was going to make a big deal of it, I just happened to coincidentally be looking into this area because I found it interesting. Um, So I had been emailing with the union earlier on before before some of this. And what they had told me at that point is, We just know, we know what we want it to be in the contract. Like studios need to be bargaining with us about digital likeness and voice simulations. They don't need to be bargaining with the actors themselves, but they didn't yet have a very clear cut position on exactly what they're going for. And I still think they haven't put out explicitly like, this is exactly what we want. This is how everything should work precisely. Their point that they're willing to strike over that they are saying, really clearly is this needs to be in the contract this needs to be explicit how this works and what you'll find asking around i found there are divisions of course between actors like there are some actors who feel like i just need to get paid if you're going to if you're going to use my image in different kinds of ways just make sure i get paid really well other people would feel like i need to be paid and i need to be consulted every time other people might be in the middle and be like i need to get paid sometimes I need to get consulted, but I don't want you holding up like every possibility for me to make more money because we have this overly complicated. But I think it's hard to find anyone who is a performer who would say, we don't want to at least hash out how this should be and what this should look like.
1: I guess this is the challenge of, of negotiating something that's constantly evolving.
2: It really is. It is It is hard. And, um, you know, I think what we saw with the writer's strike is at one point the studios were saying, we don't need to put anything in writing. Like, let's just talk about it every year. <laughs> let's meet and talk about it. And in one respect, you kind of get that point, like it's hard to put things in writing when you don't even really understand what the thing is. At the same time, talking about it, is not satisfying. Talking about it doesn't protect people. When somebody who's in the position of Devin Finley and wants to know, I was just given this contract, is $500 a decent amount? I mean, he would still be outside the union anyway, but at least if there's some guidelines, he could say, oh, when the union does it, they say, actually, you better get paid this amount, and these are what you need to look for, all of that. So people deserve real clear-cut guidelines, which of course will probably have to keep evolving as the technology evolves.
1: Heather Tall Murphy, thank you
2: for talking with me. Thank you for talking to me. So fun talking to you.
1: Heather Tall Murphy covers tech and business for Slate. You should check out her story on Synthespians online on our site. It's pretty amazing. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Mia Armstrong Lopez. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you're a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Join Slate Plus. It's the best way to support our work. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. All right, we'll be back next week with more episodes. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.